0: A series of lessons real answers to the big questions in counting down the top 10 questions that you yourselves submitted today we come to question number 5 is the bible really reliable There's a great little book that I want, maybe you might, I think I put it in your notes, but uh, you might want a copy of this. I mean, it's a great one to study more because we're just going to skim the surface today. Uh, Written by Judson Poling, How Reliable Is the Bible? And he writes in the introduction, There were about the nicest young men you'd want to meet. They came to the door and politely introduced themselves as representatives of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. They claimed that God had given the world additional scripture, namely the Book of Mormon, which they offered free. When asked what credentials this book held to support their assertion, they gave their standard reply. If you pray about it and ask the Holy Spirit to tell you if this book is from God, He will show you personally. Read it and find out. So archaeological research was unnecessary, historical inquiry not needed, just a direct word from God and you'd know. On the other side of the world, devout Muslims believe the Quran was divinely dictated by God to the prophet Muhammad early in the 7th century AD. Word for word, Allah spoke his revelations through the archangel and they were written down preserved for the world to receive. The original Quran exists in heaven because it's the uncreated eternal word of God. The earthly Quran is a mere copy. For any Muslim to question the Quran's accuracy or truthfulness is a grave sin, for the faithful must believe and not doubt. The same is true for the Bible, right? God revealed it, and we're just supposed to accept it on faith. Take a biblical Christian, a Muslim, and a Mormon, and lock them in a room, and each would try to get the others to accept his book as the true revelation of God's word. But if you, as an unbiased seeker of truth, were locked in that room with them, what would you conclude? Each religion's representative seems to be telling you to accept his with no further proof than, quote, you'll know once you read it, unquote. How would you know which book, if any, was the truthful one? Some say prayer or subjective experience is not enough to solve such a ticklish problem. Religious books, like any other history or wisdom literature, should be examined and tested. Any inaccuracy in things measurable, like historical results, undermines accuracy in things spiritual, such as the claim that the book's message will save you eternally. You may even come to the point where you reject all books that claim to be the Word of God. Mark Twain called the Book of Mormon chloroform in print and found fault with the Bible and the Koran as well. Robert Ingersoll was even more biting in his criticism of the Bible's message. In his opinion, quote, If a man would follow today the teachings of the Old Testament, he would be a criminal. If he would follow strictly the teachings of the New, he would be insane, unquote. So what evidence is there that the Bible is trustworthy, more so than any other so-called sacred scripture? Does it have any credentials that compel us to take it seriously? Or will the Bible's teaching lead to criminal and insane behavior, as Ingersoll predicted? These are not merely academic questions. What's at stake is whether God has spoken to us through the written word. And exactly where that message is located. How reliable is the Bible? Before we continue, let's stop right here and let's just pray. Would you pray with me? God, we need to hear from you today. We are seekers of truth We're not on a journey of blind faith. We're on a journey that requires evidence. We want to know, is this book your book? Is the Bible reliable? Can we trust it? Is what we have today your written word as you wanted it to be? And so I pray that you would open our eyes to see, and our ears to hear, and our minds to understand, and our hearts to receive the truth, your truth, today. For we pray it in the one who is truth with a capital T, the name of Jesus. Amen is the Bible really reliable? Actually, there were a number of questions from you related to this topic. Questions like, where did the Bible come from? Isn't the Bible full of myths? What about all the contradictions in the Bible? Hasn't the Bible changed over time? Why are there so many English versions of the Bible? Is the Bible really reliable? God's book, and on the questions went. And there's no way we could possibly answer each and every one of these questions individually, so I've chosen to group them under the same basic question, is the Bible really reliable? (laughs) If you want to have some fun sometime, (laughs) just throw out this question to a group of people at your workplace. (laughs) Or in the lunchroom, or at a family gathering, just kind of say, hey everybody, (laughs) hey, answer this question for me. Is the Bible really reliable? What do you think? And then stand back and watch. (laughs) You'll be amazed at the variety of spirited responses there are to that question. But we owe it to ourselves, I think, to answer this question, is the Bible really reliable? Is it just another sacred book, like the Book of Mormon, or the Quran, or is there something that sets it apart as the Word of God? Is it simply a good human code of ethics and values, or is it divinely inspired absolute truth? Let me share with you this morning three reasons why I'm convinced beyond reasonable doubt that the Bible is, in fact, the written Word of God and is totally accurate and eternally relevant in all that it teaches. Number one, reason number one, the Bible is incomparable. The Bible is incomparable. It's unlike any other book ever written. In its uniqueness, it stands apart from all other literature. Now, that's not just a subjective opinion. On my part, the facts speak for themselves. Number one, the Bible is incomparable in its composition. The Bible is incomparable in its composition. The Bible was written over a period of about 1,600 years by some 40 different authors from every walk of life, kings, peasants, philosophers, fishermen, poets, statesmen, soldiers, shepherds, tax collectors, doctors, and on the list goes. It was written on at least three different continents, Asia, Africa, and Europe, in three different languages, Hebrew, Aramaic, and Greek. It was written in a variety of places, in the wilderness, from a dungeon, in a palace, inside a prison cell, on a ship, from the front lines of battle. And although it addresses hundreds of controversial subjects, which only invite differing opinions, there's an incredible continuity and harmony throughout the book. Number two, it is incomparable in its circulation. It is incomparable in its circulation. Without question, the Bible is the single most published book in the history of the world. Billions of copies have been printed and purchased over the years. Tens of millions continue to be sold and circulated year after year after year. I mean, just show me another book that's been atop the bestseller list for several hundred years. (laughs) It can't be done. Most authors would be delighted to have their book on the top of the bestseller list for a week or two, yet the Bible's been atop that list for centuries. Number three, it is incomparable in its translation. It is incomparable in its translation. The Bible, in fact, is the most translated book in the world. It has been translated in a whole or part into thousands of different dialects, and yet literally an army of full time translators continues to work around the world today to make the Bible available in every language, in every culture, in every corner of the earth. Number four, it is incomparable in its duration. In its duration. The famous French infidel Voltaire boldly predicted back in the 1700s that the Bible would be swept from existence within a hundred years. But what has happened? Voltaire himself has been swept from existence. While the Bible continues to increase in circulation and translation each and every year. It has survived bans and burnings, ridicule and criticism, and every attempt by opponents to eradicate it. The late Bernard Ram, world-renowned theologian and apologist, wrote, A thousand times over, the death knell of the Bible has been sounded, the funeral procession formed, the inscription cut on the tombstone and committal read, but somehow the corpse never stays dead. Never stays put. No other book has been so chopped, knifed, stifled, assifted, scrutinized, and vilified. Yet the Bible is still loved by millions, read by millions, studied by millions. Number five, it is incomparable in its instruction. It is incomparable in its instruction. Simply put, what the Bible teaches has a life-changing effect on people. Most of the time, when people finish reading a book, they put it on the bookshelf and they reach for another book to read. But not so with the Bible. Serious Bible readers, if you've noticed, never finish the book. They never put it away for good. They just keep reading it and studying it, and over periods of weeks and months and years, they testify that the Bible has, in fact, transformed their lives. It has shaped their worldview, their morals and values, their character and behavior. I mean, think about it. Just this past week, dozens of people right here at Springville Nas, busy, intelligent, reasonable people, took time to gather either here at the church building or in homes to study the Bible. And those same people can hardly wait to do it again this next week. To get together in life groups and openly discuss what the Bible teaches so that they can apply its principles to their daily lives. Why? Because this book, the Bible, is different. It is unique. It is incomparable. Which brings me to the second reason why I believe in the Bible, and that is the Bible is inspired. Reason number two the Bible is inspired. Now today's question, is the Bible ruler reliable, is a vital question. Often asked, is the Bible accurate, trustworthy? How can I know for sure that the Bible is in fact God's word? Those are excellent questions and we owe it to ourselves to answer them as clearly and concisely as we possibly can. To begin, it's important to understand that the Bible itself claims to be inspired, which simply means God-breathed. That is, God guided the thoughts and hearts of people to record through their own individual personalities and styles exactly what He wanted to communicate to us in written form. 2 Timothy 3, verse 16. The whole Bible was given to us by inspiration from God. 2 Peter 1, verses 20 and 21 expands on that a bit. The main thing to keep in mind here is that no scripture is a matter of private opinion. And why? Because it's not concocted in the human heart. It resulted when the Holy Spirit prompted men and women to speak, and I might add, write God's word. Now, if the Bible is, in fact, inspired by God, then two things must be true. Number one, the Bible is inerrant The Bible is inerrant. In other words, in its origin, it's without error. Even as God is infallible, so the Bible, His word, must be infallible. How do we know that to be true? How do we know that the Bible is inerrant? Because it passes these five critical tests. The first is the historical test. The historical test. The Bible makes hundreds of references to historical people, places, and events, providing plenty of opportunity for contradiction with historical record. And yet there's remarkable agreement between the biblical account and the historical record. And in the few cases where there have been contradictions between the biblical account and the historical record, archaeological discoveries have tended to prove the biblical account was in fact the most accurate. For instance... The Old Testament makes frequent mention of an enemy nation of the Israelites called the Hittites. And for centuries, historians had not been able to come up with any trace of evidence for the existence of a Hittite nation. And so, of course, they questioned the credibility of the Bible in that regard. But in 1906, an archaeological dig confirmed not only the existence of the Hittite people, but in the hundred plus years since then, they have actually unearthed over 40 cities of the Hittite nation. And it was proven that the Bible was in fact correct. Another example, in Daniel chapter 5, The Bible mentions that Belshazzar was the king of Babylon during a certain period. However, historical record has maintained that Nabonidus was the king of Babylon during that same exact era. It was a clear-cut contradiction between historical record and the biblical account. And so historians, of course, concluded that the Bible was obviously wrong. But guess what? In 1956, archaeologists unearthed three stones that contained an inscription that solved the whole dilemma. It seems that Nabonidus accompanied his armies out to a faraway battlefront, and so he appointed his son to be the heir in charge back home while he was gone. And guess what his son's name was? Belshazzar. And once again, it was determined that the biblical account was, in fact, the more accurate account. And I could go on and on. Friends, the Bible passes the historical test with flying colors. By the way, as a side note, the Book of Mormon, when it's subjected to the historical test, fails embarrassingly. It contains the story of a vast civilization that supposedly existed in the Americas between 600 B.C. and 400 A.D. It gives us the names of people, places, and events that supposedly existed within this civilization. And yet, not a single historian inside or outside of the Latter-day Saint organization has ever been able to produce even a single artifact or piece of evidence that would substantiate a single claim of the Book of Mormon simply put the historical record cannot validate a single city tribe person river mountain or event that's found in the book that's devastating it suggests to many people myself included that the whole LDS religion may in fact be a hoax now if you question a Mormon missionary about this they won't deny it they will just tell you we have to accept it by faith. Folks, that's not faith, that's intellectual suicide. You don't discard your intellect when you start searching for the truth. Praise God that the Bible passes the historical test. Sure, there are some minor conflicts that still remain between the biblical and historical accounts. The jury is still out in those areas. However, based upon the track record up to this time, we can believe beyond reasonable doubt that if and when the evidence is finally in, the Bible will retain its historical respectability. The second critical test of the Bible's inerrancy is the manuscript test. The manuscript test. You realize just how much manuscript evidence there is to back up the credibility of the biblical text? Let me see if I can put this into perspective. When you go off to college, it isn't very long before you are introduced to the writings of the great philosophers like Aristotle and Plato. These giants have had enormous influence on thought over the years. And nobody ever questions the content of their works, whether or not their writings are reliable, whether or not discrepancies have crept into the text along the way. They are basically accepted at face value as being accurate representations of what Aristotle and Plato originally wrote. But did you know that there are actually less than ten existing copies of handwritten manuscripts to study and compare in order to determine the quality of the transmission down through the centuries. Less than 10. Now, take a guess how many manuscripts of the New Testament are available to study and compare to determine if the Bible's been passed down to us accurately. Say 20? Wouldn't that be cool? Twice as many as Aristotle and Plato. Or how about 50? Yeah. Or or wouldn't it be great if there were a hundred manuscripts so we could say that there's ten times more manuscript evidence to back up the Bible than there is to back up the writings of Aristotle and Plato? Wouldn't that be great? Well, the truth is, there are in whole or part about 24,000 existing manuscripts of the New Testament. 24,000! You see, the Bible is without question the single best documented piece of ancient literature that we have in existence today. And the bottom line is the Bible has no equal when it comes to passing the manuscript test. Which brings us to the third test of the Bible's inerrancy, and that's the miracles test. The miracles test. I often get questioned about the so-called miracles recorded in the Bible. I mean, surely they are proof that the Bible is in error. <laughs> A global flood, parting of the Red Sea, Jesus walking on water, resurrection. I mean, how can any rational person believe such things? Well, first let me point out that we must distinguish between God himself and the record of the activities of God. Back at the beginning of the series, in answering question number 10, why should I believe in God, we discussed several arguments for the existence of God. And in the cause and effect argument, we reasoned that by definition, God must be non-contingent, eternal, limitless, and all-powerful. In other words, He's not just capable of creating this universe, but He's capable of doing extraordinary things in this universe. To put it another way, if God truly exists, then He'd have no trouble causing a flood, or parting a sea, or walking on water, or raising the dead. Doesn't that make sense? I mean, if He's God, we would expect Him to do those things. Now, the Bible is simply a record of some of the miraculous activities of God. And just because the Bible records them from time to time doesn't mean that they're fabrications made up by the writer's. They're just recording actual events as they happened. Besides, the miracles in the Bible, you understand, were almost always done in public places and witnessed by multitudes of people, both believers and unbelievers. Had they been the fabrications of the writers, as soon as the writers began circulating their accounts, there would have been a public outcry calling on the writers to retract those accounts. But that didn't happen. The New Testament accounts spread like wildfire shortly after the establishment of the church and no widespread of the writings was launched despite their detailed references again and again to supernatural miracles. Why? Because there were plenty of eyewitnesses who were still alive who could and did substantiate the biblical record. There were literally thousands who testified to the fact that these miracles were in fact factual. Because they had seen them. And in fact, some of them had experienced them. And then there's the prophecy test. The prophecy test. Because the Bible was written over a period of some 1600 years, we can establish the fact that what many of the early writers boldly prophesied would happen in the future has come to pass exactly as they had foretold it. Frankly, I could build a convincing case for the inspiration of the Bible on this one piece of evidence alone. For instance, there are over 300 incredibly detailed Messianic prophecies that were fulfilled in Jesus. There's no coincidence there, by the way. That's not an accident. Peter Stoner, in his classic work Science Speak, has shown that the probability factor for any one person fulfilling these Messianic prophecies by choice or by chance to be so improbable that they are, in essence, impossible. And that's not to mention the hundreds of other prophecies that aren't even related to the Messiah that have also been fulfilled in exact minute detail. I mean, how do we account for all of these prophecies that were written hundreds of years before coming to pass? The only rational answer is a supreme all-knowing being, God, must have inspired the writers of Scripture to record those prophecies And they, in fact, then became true. Matter of fact, the Bible itself gives this litmus test for prophecy in Deuteronomy 18, verses 21 and 22. Let's read this out loud together. Would you read it with me? You may wonder how you can tell when a prophet's message does not come from the Lord. If a prophet speaks in the name of the Lord and what he says does not come true, then it is not the Lord's message. That prophet has spoken on his own authority. That's pretty clear, huh? The opposite, of course, is also true. If a prophet speaks and what he says does come true, every single time without fail, then that prophet must be inspired by God. Which is exactly what has happened in the Bible. It passes the prophecy test perfectly and completely. One final test of the Bible's inerrancy, and that's the archaeology test. The archaeology test... I alluded to this briefly when we talked about the historical test, so let me just say this. Archaeology serves to verify the biblical people, places, and events, to establish that what is recorded in the Bible is indeed factual and accurate. When I've led tour groups to Israel, we have walked through the ruins of actual places where biblical people walked. And we have seen inscriptions on stone and on manuscripts that validate the events that the Bible records. There are over 25,000 archaeological sites in Israel alone. And as noted in the words of Nelson Gluck, the Jewish archaeologist, it may be stated categorically that no archaeological discovery has ever controverted a biblical reference, not even once. Wow. The archaeology test. And so the Bible passes the historical test, the manuscript test, the miracles test, the prophecy test, the archaeology test, all proving beyond reasonable doubt that the Scriptures are inspired and therefore they are inerrant. However, if the Bible is inspired by God, there's a second thing that must also be true, and that is the Bible is infinite. The Bible is infinite. In other words, to put it another way, the Scriptures are timeless, everlasting. Even as God is eternal, so God's Word, the Bible, is eternal. Now, we've already touched on this earlier when I mentioned how the Bible is incomparable in its duration. But look at these two Scriptures. One from the Old Testament, one from the New Testament. From the Old Testament, Isaiah 40, verse 8, Yes, grass withers and flowers fade, but the Word of our God endures forever. Jesus put it this way, Mark 13, verse 31 Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. The Bible's infinite. One poet put it this way Generation follows generation, yet it lives nations rise and fall yet it lives kings dictators presidents come and go yet it lives torn condemned burned, yet it lives hated despised cursed yet it lives doubted suspected criticized yet it lives damned by atheists yet it lives misconstrued by and misstated yet it lives ranted and raved about yet it lives its inspiration denied yet it lives Yet it lives as a lamp to our feet. Yet it lives as a light to our path. Yet it lives as a standard to our childhood. Yet it lives as a guide for our youth. Yet it lives as an inspiration for our adulthood. Yet it lives as comfort for the aged. Yet it lives as food for the hungry. Yet it lives as water for the thirsty. Yet it lives as rest for the weary. Yet it lives as salvation for the sinner. Yet it lives as grace for the Christian. To know it is to love it. To love it is to obey it. And to obey it means eternal life. Which brings us to the third reason why I believe in the Bible, and that is that the Bible is incisive. The Bible is incisive. Let's read Hebrews 4 verses 12 and 13 out loud together. Would you read this with me? God means what He says. What He says goes. His powerful Word is sharp as a surgeon's scalpel, cutting through everything, whether doubt or defense, laying us open to listen and obey. Nothing and no one is impervious to God's Word. We can't get away from it no matter what. Because you see, Francis, the Bible speaks about me. (laughs) The Bible speaks about you. It's painfully incisive about our human tendencies and our nature. I've never read another book that cuts through the veneer of our lives as deftly as the Bible does. It gets to the root issues of our character, our relationships, our decisions, our values, and our morality. Can I be honest? Quite honestly, I sometimes I've wished that the Bible wasn't quite so incisive <laughs> in its appraisal of me. James one tells us the Bible's like a mirror that reflects who and what we really are. And to be candid with you, I believe that many people know just enough about the Bible to steer clear of it, even to berate it, because they know that if they are to read it, it's going to speak truthfully to them. It's going to call them into account with God. It's going to bring up matters like sin, repentance, the judgment day, and hell. And who in their right minds even wants to deal with those things? And so a lot of people stay away from the Bible because they don't want to face the truth about themselves. After all, it's easier to be critical of the Bible than to allow the Bible to be critical of you. Another way, people, even some believers, sadly, try to avoid the incisive penetrating truth of the Bible, is that they pick and choose what they want to believe and what they don't want to believe. Kind of like this. That's the way some people read the Bible. And we cannot read, study, and apply the Bible like that. It really is all, or it's nothing. The serious Bible student finds God's Word to be incisive, unlike any other book. It speaks to the real issues of life with a relevance and a clarity that can only come from God. It's the owner's instruction manual. It's the captain's compass. It's the designer's blueprint. Life works best when you follow the manufacturer's directions. Real answers to the big questions. This morning we've just skimmed the surface attempting to answer this question, is the Bible really reliable? I am convinced that the Bible is the written Word of God and it's totally accurate and eternally relevant in all that it teaches. Why? Because the Bible is incomparable. The Bible is inspired. And the Bible is incisive. The really, really, <laughs> really big question is this. What is your opinion about the Bible? What do you honestly believe about this book? You owe it to yourself to reach a verdict on this question, to either wholeheartedly accept the Bible or to completely reject it, because it really is all or nothing. However, if you reject it, if you close it, you toss it aside. Let me just ask you this question. What is your plan B? To whom or what will you turn for direction in life? The Quran? The Book of Mormon? The prevailing opinion of society? Your psychic counselor? What is your plan B? Let me tell you, if this is God's book if it is incomparable, inspired, and incisive, then you better find out what God is trying to say to you. Because if this book is truth, it says some sweeping things about your life and your eternity. Let's read 2 Timothy 3 verses 15 through 17 out loud as we close. There's nothing like the written Word of God for showing you the way to salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Every part of Scripture is God-breathed and useful one way or another, showing us truth, exposing our rebellion, correcting our mistakes, training us to live God's way. Through the Word, we are put together and shaped up for the task God has for us. Let's pray. Oh God, impress upon our hearts this morning the truth, the truth of your word. I pray that this message shores up our faith. To know that the Bible is incomparable. To see clearly the evidence for the Bible's inspiration. That it is inerrant, That it is infinite. And oh God to understand just how incisive the Bible is about who we are and what we do. Thank you for giving us your timeless, universal written word as a light and a lamp to guide us in our lives. May we know beyond reasonable doubt we can trust your word. It's all or nothing. And we just say before you this morning for us, it's all. Thank you. Thank you, God. In Jesus' name. Amen.